Hello and welcome to episode four of the Backseat GM podcast. I'm Ben Roman. Uh, today in a special episode uh, where we have a guest joining us on the show today. He's a longtime uh, writer and podcaster for the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, also exclusively for this show, I know a couple weeks back we talked about uh, the Pistons acquiring some big, guy, big guys for their roster. Uh, we have a resident big guy expert here, uh, Adam McGee. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Ben. That's really, that's why I'm, you put out a tweet about the big guys. A little hurt, I wasn't on to talk with the big guys, so now we have an opportunity to talk with the big guys. I know, it was it was instant regret. Uh, I, I'll, t- I'll tell you, as soon as you commented, I can't believe that uh, we didn't link up sooner for this, but uh, <laughs> why don't you tell us a little bit about where that came from, where, where the big guys' uh, obsession all started for you? Uh, well, I guess there's there's two elements to this, which one is where the actual base came from. Um, <laughs> but quite a significant number of people seem to know, remember, enjoy when I tweet about it, when it comes up on either my own podcast or other podcasts like this. Um, and that is the one and only time I've actually seen the Milwaukee Bucks play in person was... I would say less than a week after I took over site expert up behind the book pass, so now like seven years ago now, the books were playing the New York Knicks in London in one of the NBA's international games. I was there. I was kitted out with. I was there with two of my friends. We were all wearing uh, Jabari Parker jerseys, green, red Christmas tree wow. jerseys. Um, that was Jabari's. Jabari would have been tore his ACL for the first time three weeks before that, I think. Mm-hmm. That would have been beginning of January, and I think he it was mid-December. Um, in his rookie when, season, yeah. In his rookie season. So the jerseys had been ordered by one of my friends before that, and we were all there decked out in our Jabari stuff. So we were there really good and early. Um, it was the... Second second time I'd been to a, an NBA game in person, the best seats I'd ever had. We were in the lower bowl. We were basically kind of free to roam around and get right down by the court. And so being there early, being decked out in books gear, we were approached by a journalist from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel who was reporting on the game to obviously give the perspective. Uh, it didn't actually come up that I was, in fact, like an editor of a book's website. It probably should have. I could have said that. It would have been more interesting than what I did say, but it stuck <laughs> with me as a result. Um, but we basically just had a conversation back and forth about why were we there, like how do we watch the books, how do we know about them, and ultimately what do we like about the books. I will insist to this day that my contributions, my analysis was much more incisive than it came out in print, Ben. But... <laughs> In print, it was something to the effect of, you know, I really like to watch the big guys play. And I'm okay with it. Could it have reflected on me better as an editor of a Milwaukee book site in the one and only time um, that I, I have and likely ever will appear in the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel? Sure, it could have. But is that also a statement that I stand by 100%? Uh, I like John Henson. His kind of long limbs are interesting to me. 
Uh, Larry Sanders was still around. He's still on the team, yeah. Um, Obviously, Giannis (laughs) is kind of factoring into that, although maybe not at that point. And I was the big, unabashed Zaza Pachulia fan. In fact, for for a long, long time, my uh, Twitter avatar was a selfie I took with Zaza in the background. Um, About two minutes after I gave that quote where, you know, I shared my love for the big man, I then went and found one and took a picture with him. So (laughs) that's kind of the origin of it. I mean, of the bit, anyway. Do you want to actually talk about, like, appreciation for big men? Of course. We can go wherever you want with this. I mean... That was right before the Greg Monroe signing, I think. That would have been the year before that. So that was. Actually, you know, what, what, what was it like? Interesting, that the interesting you bring Greg Monroe up, right? <laughs> because I was on the Pistons beat as a writer for a while, and um, one of the players, and I've talked about this, plenty of places I've written articles about it, who really got me into the NBA, which people laugh at now, but made more sense at the time, was Josh Smith. Mm hmm. I was just kind of dazzled by his athleticism, his size, his strength, of course his size. Um, And just the way he could basically take over a game, it was so kind of uniquely NBA to me um, that I caught a Hawks-Suns game that um, Jamal Crawford made a buzzer beater to win. I think it was in double overtime, just randomly on TV one day. And I was like, oh, basketball, NBA, I'll, I'll check out some more of this. So Josh Smith was always someone I followed quite closely, even as his career got to the very dark place that was the Detroit Pistons and that big contract that, I mean, only officially ended like a few weeks ago. I think they stopped paying him. But during that time, I got to write weekly about a front course that was just a thing of beauty, and that was Josh (laughs) Smith, Greg Monroe, and Andre Drummond together, which... Why aren't more people doing this? Is it related to how that works? I don't know, Ben, but it the sounds... The Pistons are... They're returning to their roots now. Uh, I, exactly. So I, I really yeah. can't blame the signings this offseason. They got uh, they got Jeremy Grant that's going to probably be slotting in at small forward, so uh, that'll kind of echo that Josh Smith... Maybe. <laughs> maybe, maybe have Killian Hayes playing a little bit of uh, off guard. What is what is your favorite type of player, like archetype, or if you think, but what is your favorite type of player? My favorite type of player has always been uh, the little guys. <laughs> I, I like the uh, I, like Chris Paul has been like my favorite non-Bucks player for as long as I can remember being a basketball fan. Basically, um, I just really like those kind of like floor general, traditional type point guards who can really create for others and just completely take over an offense like Chris Paul can. And that's kind of like how I tried to model my own game after when I would play basketball on an organized level. But, that you know, I haven't done that since a very long time ago. But um, That's I, interesting, though, because that's kind of – that is the reverse of how I think about it and why I really appreciate just these giants <laughs> is – like, you can just kind of look around everywhere, you know, 6'1", 6'2", 6'3", guys, they're everywhere. What's special? Like, yeah, sure, they they can do some more things with a ball in their hands than I can. I don't, <laughs> I don't agree with that. But there is something kind of magical about, like, some 7'2", plodding giant who 
kind of preternaturally fit for basketball. Like, he can reach the rim easier, and yet at the same time, because he can reach the rim easier, because he's so big, he's close to immobile. You know, he can't get up and down the floor. He's not going to beat people off the dribble. So you've got this kind of beautiful contrast of... It's really poetic, don't you think? It's kind of a reflection of life. It's here you are. <laughs> you know, you could dunk the basketball first, but now you reach this level and you're being played off the floor by all these small guys. And so with that, I'm always fascinated by just the big guys who find something else. Like, uh, I think it's the now because the, is, the passing is big is now. Yes, he is, and he's probably my favorite non book. Mm-hmm. But that's also the passing big is now what we talk about and we think of Jokic and we think of like a complete freak of a passing big who can like average eight assists per game if he wants, no problem. Mm-hmm. But there was also a version of a passing big before that. That, For example, Zaza Pachulia was a passing big, really good oh, yeah. passer, solid fundamental passer, good vision. I like that. It's like, okay, you're a big guy, does what you can't do, but you can see the angles, you're looking at the rest of the floor, you can... That's my kind of point guard, Ben. <laughs> well, I can certainly respect that. Uh, the uh, definitely, definitely, Zaza Pachulia was one of those type of guys. Uh, I would say that even Andrew Bogut was yeah. kind of one of those guys earlier on, uh, probably in your books, your following of the books. That really, uh, really had that extra dimension to his game. Even though he couldn't hit the free throws, the the, the passing and playmaking was was up there with the best of them. Not throws is common too. The worse <laughs> your free throws, probably a strong chance the more of an affinity I'm gonna have. The closer to your heart, yeah. <laughs> like I, I, if I feel like I could possibly beat them in a free throw contest, but look at all these other things they can do. Look at all these other things they can do just because they're big, and they still find a way. It's it's my kind of player. So how special was it for you when uh, the Bucks' biggest free agent signing in probably a decade was Greg Monroe coming to the Bucks? Oh, it still is. It's the it's the biggest franchise. It's the biggest signing in franchise history. I'm not even. I'm being serious now. Like that is, and in terms of the alternative options he has, it didn't work out, but. In terms of changing the perception of the books, building something new. Also, I mean, let's not forget when he was traded, what he was traded for, and then what that unlocked for the team, and now Bledsoe's being traded, and what he's being traded for, and what that could unlock. Like, Greg Monroe really matters, and that signing mattered. It's a pity it just didn't work out for him. Um, but yeah, that was a big deal. That was That was fun. I think everyone would say that. Definitely it's been a long, long while. Um, like considering how the upward trajectory of the book since then, and yet there hasn't been another signing like that. In part because, well, they never have cap space, so you, it's hard to sign players like that. I mean, Brooke, Brooke was fun, and Brooke was a bargain, and that's worked out great. But yeah, the Greg Monroe signing was a big deal. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, it, it is kind of funny thinking about all the assets that you know, have been traded over the past, I guess, what is it now, five years since then, and how Craig Monroe turned into Eric Bledsoe. Eric Bledsoe kind of not directly turned into Drew Holiday in a way. So that kind of pivots us to 
this Bucks offseason, which has been a very interesting one, to say the least, uh, probably the move for the biggest name player that the Bucks have gotten since maybe maybe Gary Payton that they've that they've actually been able to trade for. Uh yeah. Drew, Drew Holiday. The, nice, the nice difference in that case is that um, <laughs> they weren't like they weren't trading down essentially. Right. Uh, they they got a big name player that was an upgrade rather than a downgrade, which is always, you know, a goal to have when you enter trade negotiations. Yeah, and, and one that's not uh you know past his prime, uh so to speak, as much. Uh <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I'm definitely glad that this uh this trade didn't involve Ray Allen. So uh but w- what do you think about the signing? how do, how do you think that Drew Holiday raises the floor and ceiling for the Milwaukee Bucks? I think he raises it significantly, like it's unfortunate. I think it's going to be quite a while before, for as much as, and we'll do it now, we'll talk about what Drew Holiday brings to the game on both ends of the floor and how that will mesh with the books. I do think it's going to be quite a while before we're not talking about him through the prism of the problem that Eric Bledsoe was when it really mattered. And that may just be the biggest upgrade. <laughs> like Addition uh, by subtraction. Yeah. Even when we do get into like what he's really good at not being Eric Bledsoe not turning into like the pumpkin Eric Bledsoe turned into when the playoff lights were on which is really unfortunate because a good guy who's very clearly well liked in Milwaukee by books players still it was his birthday yesterday and the amount of books players kind of uh, sending birthday messages his way on their Instagram stories actually kind of struck me. Not that I wasn't aware of it. I mean, a lot of the guys are very close to Bledsoe. But for all the good that Bledsoe did, and for as incredible as he could be defensively, and as key as he was to to building the team to what it was and putting together these strong regular season campaigns, like the drop-off between what he was in the regular season, the playoffs, was one of the most pronounced of any player in the NBA. And you just can't have that. And even worse is if you have that kind of drop-off, and then you have someone whose play style it is not an ideal fit to maximize the play style of your best player. So not only is he hurting the team by not performing up to his usual level, he's hurting the team because he doesn't do anything to unlock Giannis. So that was a problem that was foreseeable from the moment they traded for him. Considering the point guards the books had had for a number of years before Eric Bledsoe, it was a no-brainer to make the trade in spite of that and see where it took them, and it took them pretty far. Uh, but yeah, Drew Holiday is going to come in and like it's funny before all of this played out, Drew Holiday was a name that obviously all books fans talked about a lot and there were rumblings, he was an obvious candidate for someone who could be traded, someone who would be a good fit, would be an upgrade and all along, as is often the case, I'm just like, no, this can't happen, they've got nothing and in future I'm always going to be right on this because now they really have nothing Um, (laughs) but in thinking about that and then in looking at alternatives, the way I had come to view, okay, well, what are the 2020-21 books going to look like or how can they be different, how could they improve, a really key part of that was just being like, okay, well, if they get someone who's playable in offense in the playoffs, that, that should do it. 
and I had resigned myself to the fact that they wouldn't get a defender of Bledsoe's quality. And now they've got possibly a better defender, certainly a defender on a par, one of the few backcourt defenders in the NBA who can fit into that kind of discussion. And then you've got someone who is also more aggressive, more dynamic, more skilled offensively, and can really transform not just how the books play, but the the range of options they can go to and the lineup combinations. That comes in with like what he can do defensively and for as great as Bledsoe was, he was great in spite of the fact that to go back to our earlier uh, big man observations, like I can't walk down the street without seeing like hundreds of Eric Bledsoe sized men, you know? So when he's switched on to a six eight, six nine guy, it's there's only so much he can really do. Drew Holiday gives you the intensity, gives you the smarts that Bledsoe had, but also meaningful kind of extra size. And there's a lot of questions, um, a lot of questions about Bud, a lot of questions then about the depth and really what they have done and what they've got and how that works out, which will still come to play defining factors in this, as much as we'd like to just say, well, if Drew Holiday, Yanis, and Chris are as good as they can be, nothing else matters. <laughs> Those other things probably will matter. But I think that's very encouraging. And certainly the best they could do in terms of the upgrading from Bledsoe. Uh, obviously, there's a whole lot of other off-season stuff that they could have done and nearly did or didn't do. And um, we could talk through some of that. But I think just in terms of Zoom out, last season finishes in incredible disappointment, a real letdown. What next? How can they fix this? If you'd offered anyone at that point, okay, well, how about we swap out Drew Holiday for Eric Bledsoe? And it is Eric Bledsoe and George Hill, which is not insignificant, but I think most people would have taken that because we have seen the Bledsoe playoff movie multiple times now, and it has yet to have anything remotely close to a happy ending. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with, you know, everything you said. Uh, definitely the factor of Drew's versatility defensively is, like, an added bonus. But, like you said, just the ability to have different lineup combinations, especially in the playoffs, where you have an actual capable ball handler and creator, that was something that I know, you know, we at Behind the Buck Pass talked about this offseason kind of just a lack of creators that the Bucks had options in the playoffs. Um, you know, George Hill and Giannis and Chris Middleton were basically the only reliable guys that could initiate offense uh, once, once you got into the postseason this past year and even in past years. Uh, and that, you know, kind of is a result of Bledsoe falling off the way that he always does in the playoffs. And then, you know, Dante DiVincenzo kind of just having a rough bubble altogether, not really being able to replicate the success he had in the regular season. And, you know, that part of that can come from being a second-year player. But, you know, when you need to win right now, you can't be relying on that and also, you know, when you need to have Giannis sign an extension, you need to kind of go all in on this. So, like you and Jordan had talked about on winning six, I 
kind of thought that the best the Bucks could hope for was an offensive upgrade over Bledsoe in the playoffs. And I was kind of thinking, like, you know, if we could just get, like, an, a DJ Augustine yeah, type to kind, of, to kind of, you know, get at least something out of that spot offensively and kind of have somebody who can capably run an offense, even if he has his definite flaws. We ended up getting DJ How or DJ Holiday, DJ Augustine anyway, as a backup point guard. So I think it definitely makes sense to zoom out from this offseason for as many other weird things that happened, like, this is definitely a, a flat-out net win for the Bucks. They definitely got better for the postseason, for sure. If they may take a hit in the regular season because of their depth, you know, so be it. We've seen how that works having, you know, the number one seed in back-to-back years. It doesn't help you when it matters if you don't have capable, you know, players that you can rely on. And I think you definitely get one in Drew Holiday. And, you know, DJ Augustine in his own right, I mean, I I know that the loss of George Hill is significant. And he, you know, did a lot of really good things for the team. Like you said, you'd swap Drew Holiday for Bledsoe and Hill in an instant. And that's what ended up doing. But I do think Augustine brings kind of a different level to the bench unit offensively uh you know hill was more than capable of you know scoring when he needed to and you know he's a hyper efficient three-point shooter and just score all around but he kind of at times was a little bit passive in the offense and that kind of led to stagnation when they kind of needed his contributions especially in this playoffs most of the bucks offense after Giannis got injured in that heat series ran completely through Middleton, which, you know, it should because Middleton is, you know, by far the second best player on the team, but they couldn't rely on really anyone else to get anything going consistently. I I think DJ Augustine definitely brings kind of a different look in that, right? He's a lot more comfortable being the focal point and, you know, he showed that in Orlando, um, kind of had a rough year shooting this year from three this past year. But, you know, in years past, he's definitely shown that ability to in the past. Whenever they... What are your thoughts on kind of, you know, DJ Augustine and I guess the rest of the roster that the Bucks have so far assembled uh, for their depth? I think the first thing, and it's coming out of the the holiday trade and Bledsoe now being gone, is even what you were just saying about George Hill, which is interesting, which is, yeah, sometimes he could be a little bit more passive than the books necessarily needed him him to be. And a lot of that, to me, comes back to, and I guess even Bud's rotations could come into this, certainly Dante, you know, Dante played in the bubble fits into it. Bledsoe's struggles held a lot of people back in the books. Mm -hmm. And if you want to be like, well, what's the difference between Dante being like he was or putting in like a Tyler Hero-esque playoff run, having the guy beside him perform is a big part of that. Like if I'm not saying it's necessarily, necessarily possible that Dante just 
jumps and plays like that if he has beside him. But um, the dynamics say were, okay, the heat had Goran Dragic and what he was doing in the offensive load, he was carrying when he was on the floor in that series. Like, and throughout much of the playoffs, um, accepting injuries, of course. Like, that matters because, let's say, even if Drew Holiday isn't, like, doesn't completely dominate in a playoff sense where he's maybe the book's second option and he's really surprising with how he's scoring, how he's playmaking. But let's say he's comfortable averaging 16 and 8 on efficient shooting with good, really good defense. Well, then Dante can just, you know, average 5, 2, and 2 on good shooting. Part of the problem, and particularly Bledsoe struggling, and then injuries played a greater factor into this, and we certainly saw it come into the equation with when Pat Connaughton was playing, how Pat Connaughton was playing. Like, the Bucks ended up putting a lot of those guys in situations and needing them to do things, even more so once Giannis got injured, that they're just not equipped to do. Mm-hmm. They're not capable of doing it. And that increased the kind of the burden on the Bucks' best players, and it didn't take much of a trickle down by, okay, well, is Middleton doing what he needs to? Yes. Just bled, so, oh. You know, and the whole thing then just falls further and further. So all of a sudden, there's more responsibility on Dante in his first playoff experience when he wasn't quite playing well anyway, and how does that end up? I think you could see a big difference if the books could go into the playoffs, start and be like, oh, look, these three guys are playing really well. Brooks playing really well. Then what's the trickle down of that? Then DJ Augustin is free to perform at a, in a way that he has in the playoffs for a Magic before. He's a guy who's had good playoff moments and playoff games. But, hey, he's on a good team now, and he doesn't have to do everything uh, he's going to get more space, he's going to get more time, and he can pick his spots. Great. And then that goes down beyond that. It's like, okay, what does that mean for Dante? That, to me, is, I guess, what I'm most interested in, in terms of, I'm not crazy about the books bench. I'm not. Some of the moves they've made, I need to be convinced. I'm not, I'm not saying I can't be convinced. Bryn Forbes, I'm going to need to see it. Mm-hmm. I'm really going to need to see it. And this kind of team, and like the Spurs teams he has been on are pretty different to the Spurs teams of years past and the current books. And not just necessarily in terms of how they play, but in terms of what they're playing for, the kind of pressure that comes attached to that. I, there's a lot that I, I feel like he needs to prove. He's a very good shooter. Can he be a good shooter in this situation? Can he be a good shooter when... You know, everyone else is covered. The ball comes to him. He has to make the shot in a big game. That's a very different thing that great shooters have struggled with over the years. So that's an example of someone I think a lot of books fans are very excited putting a lot of stock in. Oh, look at his three-point percentage. I kind of like, I feel like I need to see it on this team and in this situation and with the kind of looks he'll get too. That's that's new. Uh, Bobby Portis is maybe something we can get to later. I don't, I don't think I'm ever going to be convinced about Bobby Portis. But the hope would be that if Giannis can play to his best, question mark, like based on what we saw, you know, even just before the injury, but if Giannis can play to his best in the playoffs and Chris can play to his best and then Drew can do the same, 
you've just got so much less work for your, frankly, less talented guys to need to do to get you over the line. And that's how you win. Because if those guys need to do more, they look terrible, they look stupid, everyone's tearing apart your rotation. It was one of the things that was interesting as the, the postseason ran on. And I found interesting at the time, even in the books, kind of conversations that were being have, had was that Bud's rotation was, yeah, it was bad. He was doing a lot of really bad things. There wasn't a whole lot of conversation about other teams are going just as deep. Mm-hmm. So that means one of two things. That means other teams had more depth. Possible. I wouldn't say, you know, it was absolutely the case, but definitely possible. I think their books were probably at a slight depth disadvantage in, against most teams they could have played, and they certainly were against the Heat. The other part of that is, well, are the top-line stars carrying enough to free them up? Like, if Jimmy Butler plays like he did and Goran Dragic plays like he did and Bam Adebayo plays like he did, well, all of a sudden, everyone else can have their moment. And they can also have their off game. Like, Duncan Robinson had a very up-and-down postseason after coming in as people being like, this guy is at an unbelievable year. He's a real threat. He was able to have his ups and downs. Even Tyler Hero, who was really good and more consistent, he didn't have to do it every single night because, like, you're talking a really young player, very little experience, first time on the playoff stage. That's the that's the spot where things need to change for the books. If your best players deliver, well, then you're asking for so much less from the rest of them that you just get a little bit more leeway. Bud's rotations hurt just a little bit less. Yeah. Pat Connaughton minutes, Bryn Forbes minutes, please God, not Bobby Portis minutes. They all <laughs> hurt just a little bit less. And to me, that's, I guess, what I'm most interested in. Rather than even a lot of the kind of the individual, oh, they got this guy. I mean, the, the person who I, I'm really happy they got is Tory Craig. But just how useful Tory Craig ultimately ends up being and how he fits with the books, and particularly with a star like Giannis, that does remain to be seen somewhat. But, yeah. It's it's exciting. There's something new and different there, which I think is great. It's also going to make Books Twitter more of a hellscape than usual early in the season when this very probably doesn't look quite as good as it has in the past. Um, because I did, you know, the very weird circumstances and backdrop for this particular season. Like, there's just a case of, okay, this is going to take some time to figure out. Um, there might be less the season. Yeah. There might be less stress if Yana signs uh on the dotted line before the season starts and people can be like, Oh yeah, sure, it's not great through twenty games, but we're playing for the playoffs now. But look, that remains to be seen. I think there is something new and different and come playoff time that could really matter and be the difference, but there I expect teething problems in the meantime. Yeah, I I completely agree. I think that it'll be it won't be as smooth sailing at least early in the season as we've grown accustomed to some of these Bucks teams performing. You know, it was two years ago they started off two and two, and then they just kind of basically swept December, <laughs> something like that. Uh, and then this past year, you know, I, I think. They had a little stutter at the beginning again, and then they kind of just went off. And it it's going to be more difficult to, I think, win the number of games that they've won the past two seasons with 
the roster that they have, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be worse off for the postseason. In fact, I think it kind of, you know, having those top guys at the at the very top of your roster, the, those stars like Holiday, Middleton, Giannis, Brooke, you know, that's going to be what matters. And their performance and how they perform, like you said, is a trickle-down effect and it gives you way more slack to work with, like Dante having a weird couple games or, you know, DJ Augustine having a weird couple games or, you know. I, I do think it's interesting what the Bucks will end up doing with their starting shooting guard spot because there's quite a few different options that they have available. Um, I think we can both agree that even though this could be their closing lineup, I don't think that you know DJ Augustine is going to get the start. One hundred percent. Yeah, that that would be the one thing I'd say. Don't do that mm-hmm. um, because, like, what is the bench otherwise? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, there's there's pretty much nothing. You know, no creator equity past that that you can really rely on. Um, I do think that you know. That could be an option, closing games offensively, especially um, if, if you have Drew sliding in at the two and Augustine, you know, running running point there. But uh, the other options would be, you know, obviously one that's been talked about a lot is Bryn Forbes. Um, I'm kind of with you. I'm not really completely sold on him as a fifth starter. Um, and maybe it's just because... Like you said, he hasn't really played on many good teams and shown that ability to be a guy playing with stars who can, you know, just do that role of spot-up shooting and running off screens and and such. Um, I think I'm I'm not completely sold on on that, him as a starting guard, uh, you know, kind of filling in that Wesley Matthews role. Obviously, he's nowhere near... Uh, the defender on that end. Uh, he could be a slightly better shooter. That remains to be seen. My opinion is I think that we should give Dante a chance to start uh, to begin off the year because I do think that he gels best when he's surrounded by a strong group. Um, and I think that you don't want to give him too much to do because things can get out of control and out of hand very quickly. Um, But I do think that, you know, he's such a great team defender and he was one of the elite nail defenders in the league last year. Um, I I do think that he definitely could be able to fill those, fill that role and kind of, you know, be allowed to have his off nights offensively while still contributing in other ways. Um, what, what do you think? What do you, what do you think about the, uh, the the Bucks starting shooting guard role? Where where are you at with who do you think should be starting there? I think Pat should start. Really? No, That's a joke. It's a joke. <laughs> um, I'm I'm with you. I think there's two options. There is one that. I would prefer, but I don't think will happen. Um, and there's the option you just outlined. Mm-hmm. And the option that I would like to see them take a look at is Tory Craig at the two. Mm-hmm. And that is not a natural fit. But I don't know how much that matters. 
I don't know how much it matters with the offensive skill of the other four guys on the floor. Um, with the switchability that you would have across one through four, um, kind of just like perfect, seamless, unlike very few teams would have. My, my take overall with what the books do with the starting lineup is you've got to preserve and or build on your defense. It's the team's identity. It's now maybe more than ever even what they're tooled to be great at. Don't put Bryn Forbes in and sacrifice defense to your starting group where you're then bringing in bench players who aren't as good as they could be and you may have less of a margin for error on the scoreboard to play with. Hmm. The Bucks need to bludgeon teams into submission with their starting five. And I think their best chance of doing that is with either Dante or Tory Craig and just getting a lineup out there that's very, very difficult to score on. And like in the case of Tory Craig, maybe that's just pushing it too far. Maybe maybe that would break the, the sport of basketball <laughs> to have those five guys out there defensively. I, I want to see it. I need to see it. They need to figure out. I mean, you did mention late in games, their closing five is probably DJ Augustin out there. Uh, I would say the flip side of that is that it should be Tory Craig. You should be subbing on and off for offensive defense, and that should be your change. Um, because both of those guys are very one-sided players, but they can be very, very good at that. And that interests me. I think, though, you kind of let out, but Dante is the all-round option and that makes him the the most logical pick. Also, he's got chemistry with three of those returning starters. Not a lot of chemistry left to go around on this team anymore. And the bench are all going to kind of have to figure something out. So I wouldn't be quite as concerned about it there. They're all new just just to work out. But particularly, as you said, to start the season, like if they do want to try and hit the ground running, uh, if and they would be right in thinking this, that, oh, wouldn't it be nice to start well instead of... I think Dante is the pick. I think Dante is the choice who can slot in most naturally, um, allow things to just kind of pick up where they left off to some extent with Drew Holiday added, where you're like, oh, look at this extra offense we've now found. And also, I mean, I think Dante can bring out a lot of what, what Wes Matthews brought. Like... Not quite the sharpshooting, but Wes was not the highest volume guy anyway. Maybe the books could sacrifice some of the the kind of efficiency for just a more dynamic offensive creator at the two. So someone who could put the ball on the floor, go and drive, which Dante can do. Someone who will, I think, be a bit more active and aggressive and looking for cuts. Someone who's just more athletic. That was certainly something like the books were old last year. But when Giannis got injured and then you're in the playoffs, like, they looked old. They really looked old. And Dante is the youth. Dante is the energy. And um, Dante also is going to have a lot to prove because he was basically traded. Um, he was traded by the team who drafted him, who he's continuing to pledge his undying love for. And I appreciate that. And that only spells out good things. Even also, when he says it, he, I, I think he's quite sincere on that. But it's his personality and the kind of guy he is. He is going to have even more of a chip on his shoulder than he's ever had before. I think letting that guy loosen the starting lineup and saying, okay, we were going to trade you, but you're here. This is what we are. And you're now a starter on this team. That could really work out very well. If there's another level, like a real next level jump in Dante, 
I can't really imagine a situation that is more tailor-made for bringing that out of him. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And plus Dante has, you know, some of that starting experience when Middleton was hurt for basically, I think, most of December this past season. You know, he slotted in next to West Matthews and they kind of played the wing duo. So, you know. Also important in that, he started as a spot starter, a point guard and a shooting guard. Mm-hmm. And if he's going to slot in alongside Drew Holiday, that gives you real flexibility and that it takes any kind of concern of, oh, you know, who's guarding the point guard? Who's, doesn't, it doesn't matter. They can both do it. And it's it's really kind of fluid and flexible. And that would be something that on both ends of the floor, I think, would be welcome for the books. Yeah. And I think confidence is such a huge thing for Dante. So if, if you're putting him as a starter uh, and giving him kind of the reins there, I think that's going to inspire a lot of confidence in him. And, you know, just not having defenses focused on him and have have them key in on him like that uh, when he has a more prominent offensive role, just, just that alone opens up a whole lot of things that he can actually do quite well when he's not the primary focus of the opposing defense. Like, like you said, he can drive, he can, you know, he can do some step back moves and, you know, kind of put the ball on the floor and and pass a little bit. And he's not going to be a selfish player either. That's going to try to just get his own whenever he's in. He's kind of that glue guy type player, like kind of what everyone hoped or hopes Pat could be when the Bucks, you know, kind of had him for that first season and he was kind of like a hipster uh, pick is like uh, the glue guy on the team playing really well next to Giannis. I wrote an article about it. I remember a couple of years ago. It sounds ago. like you regret that now. I, I feel <laughs> like, and I've seen tweets, uh, I fully recognize Pat Connaughton, wannabe, wannabe is the wrong way to put that, um, aspiring Irish national team player, which is very dear, dear to my heart. Um, so let's make that happen, Pat. You're, uh, you'll always get an easy ride from me because of that. But I feel like you've you've gone and turned the other way. And look, his his contract and those negotiations, they are not gonna help Pat Connaughton, they're not gonna help the books. That's it's just a disaster. Like it's not gonna it's not gonna do anything to benefit anyone. He's a smart player. He can do good things. He can also do really bad things. These are the limitations of role players. And it goes back to I guess where we were earlier, which is, you know, if you can just use them as role players <laughs> In limited bursts, they can be very good and effective. They can look great. They can be the kind of players everyone's like, wow, look how good he is. You win a championship, they go on. I'd say they get a richer contract, but he's got a pretty rich one already. Um, and then everyone's like, wow, that guy's not good. This is called <laughs> the match Delvadova signs for the books effect, right? This is really what it is. If you've got top stars around them and they do their job, these players look so much better some poor unfortunate team comes and splashes the cash and then everyone's like, wow, how did that happen and why? Like, Pat can be that. Pat can still do that and be good and much better than he was last year, but not if he finds himself in the position he found himself in in the playoffs last year. Like, that's on Bud, that's on him. It's also not really on either of them. There's some circumstance. Like, the Bucks did get some bad breaks. Um, Pat was coming back from COVID. Bledsoe was coming back from COVID. But, like, I won't say we joked about it at the time, but 
because it was a serious thing. But if ever there was a player you didn't need on the books to like come into the season, and I think he was the last to join up, it was Bledsoe. Like, oh, we're nearly at the playoffs. What can help Bledsoe overcome his playoff struggles? The answer certainly wasn't COVID. So I think we've all even kind of lost sight of that just because he did struggle again. It didn't work out. He's gone now. He maybe had more reason than ever before for that, but it didn't work out for the Bucks. And you'll be honest, the injury against the Heat, I mean, none of that exactly worked in their favor. Um, nor did the, you know, oh, look at this juggernaut team, and then the season stopped for months and home court advantage is gone, and now we're all in Disneyland. So <laughs> it was all very weird. I'm not going to bet on this season not being equally, if not even more weird than that. But maybe the books can just get some better luck. It remains to be seen. Yeah. I don't know, though. My, I mentioned Bobby Porter, so I guess we better do this. They don't have any depth at, at center. And maybe I only care about this because, again, the big guys. <laughs> but when you look at how the books play... They need something, and they can't sign anyone right now because of the hard cap. They're going to have this open roster spot. Later in the season, they'll have the ability to add someone. I guarantee you it will not be a big because they are not the kind of splashy, oh, I'm going to join a contender, free agents who tend to emerge late in the year on the buyout market. That's not really the kind of player who usually find themselves in that spot. So, Brooke is 30... 34? Not young. Miles on the clock. History of foot injuries. Key to the defensive system, at least as it was, whether we see a more varied approach this year, and I think we'll have to. We'll have to see at least a more regularly implemented plan B. Um, that maybe plan B is even the wrong way of putting it, that you just have a more flexible defensive system where it's not this is our scheme it works great and this is our scheme because guess what if Brooke misses a week and it happens to be a week of the finals and your only option is well this is how we play Bobby Portis come on down like you're now anchoring a drop scheme that you know this team is good enough to win a championship but it rests on your shoulders Bobby Portis it's not gonna go well and I honestly I was baffled by that signing and by the amount I think on a minimum I'd kind of go fine I don't know what the appeal is I don't really get what people seem to think his skill set is now he likes to score I don't I don't think that necessarily equates to he's good at scoring but he definitely likes to score he's going to take shots again wouldn't be top of my list you know can we get Bobby Portis more shots but I, I don't know how that plays out like, the obvious answer is, oh, well, they play Giannis more at center. If your two plans for how your front court rotation shapes out involve, well, Brooke needs to be healthy and he's starting as usual, or our best player is starting to the five, it leaves quite a bit to be desired. I know they brought in Diakiti on the, the two-way as well. Maybe we see a lot of him. I know on the last episode of Winning Six that Jordan and I recorded Jordan. Jordan, I think, is particularly head over heels with Diakiti's game, but he would not rule out that Diakiti would be better than Bobby Portis for the books this year. Yeah. I'm just, I'm I'm uncertain, Ben, and I have a bit of trepidation because center has been an important system in what the books have done. And I don't think Bobby Portis can do what Brooke can do offensively, and I know with 100% certainty he can't even do a fraction of what he does defensively. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. 
I do think that, you know, it does – it should be noted that Bobby Portis is yet to play for anything close to a good team, or at least an elite playoff team like the Bucks. So Can, I, the, can I ask, just before you go further with that, because mm-hmm. I'm always interested when – when a player like that comes up and that becomes a discussion point, is there a reason for that? <laughs> there could be. There could. Like, there could yeah. Does punching Nikola Mirotic, does that get good teams queuing up to be like, we want this guy, or what he's shown? And I know bad teams can build bad habits in players, but it's also it's the guys who show, no, I am on a bad team, but I'm still going to play the game the right way. They're the ones who do tend to jump out and have more, more value, and I guess they can they can be journeymen who jump through ten different teams across their career, and no matter what the situation is, well, okay, this is a rebuilding team, I fit in, I can help. This is a contending team, I fit in, I can help. I'm I am just curious with Bobby Portis. It's not even the fact that he hasn't been on good teams, like the teams he has been on. <laughs> like <laughs> this is the extremes of it, like. I don't know. That could be entirely unfair. He may prove me wrong, and I hope he does. But I always think there is a part of that discussion. It's when we try to sell ourselves on, well, he hasn't been on a good team yet, and that could happen. When you haven't been on a good team yet, and that goes beyond being drafted, and I would personally find it hard to say I'd ever seen anything of him to suggest he was making those bad teams better in his minutes, that concerns me. But... Maybe maybe I'm wrong on that. I'll pass back over to you on that. But I just that is my with the idea of well, he hasn't been on a good team. I am wondering is there going to be a case of oh well that's why and um, if we'll end up saying that come like June or July, which when does the season end? July, I think. Um, that would not be the time to find that out. And it would imagine if that was the case, like take um, like the Mason Plumley moment <laughs> on the the game-winning play where Anthony Davis makes a shot where he loses them. What if the Bucks are in a game of those stakes and Bobby Portis does that and the whole thing comes crashing down and a year from now we're sitting here and we're like, yeah, I guess there was a reason why Bobby Portis was never on a good team. <laughs> it's just that, that to me, um, there's not a lot that I'm kind of particularly anxious about with this Bucks team. That makes me anxious. It's like, this seems like something very obvious that we might all have to try and overlook for a year, only to, at the end of the year, then be like, yeah, well, I guess so. Like, that's kind of the Bledsoe <laughs> thing, too. Like, we did it for multiple years. And to be clear, I'm by no means comfortable with Bobby Portis being the only backup big that's, like, of any real, like, I don't count DJ Wilson in that uh, for obvious reasons. I forgot DJ was on the team. I <laughs> genuinely forgot. He was nearly not on the team. He's still on the team. <laughs> I, do I prefer DJ over Bobby Portis, though? I think I do. Come on. Seriously. <laughs> I mean, what has Bobby Portis shown? What has DJ shown? DJ has had a couple of weeks that drove people crazy and fueled them for a couple of years. Um, that, I would say, don't show him being a more talented player, a more skilled player than Bobby Portis. But they could well show him being a better fit for the books and what they will need out of that kind of role than him. Now, I'm not, like, I've long given up, and I was not really on the DJ Wilson train at any point. 
at the same time, though, <laughs> like, if these are your options, I don't think it can be ruled out that we could end up circling back to that at some point for better and almost certainly worse, because how Porus fits in and how all of that works is something that we're going to have to wait and see. Like, yeah. we're really going to have to wait and see. I agree. I, I was on the DJ Wilson train for probably about a month in December slash January of his, like, rookie year, I think, or sophomore year, when he was uh, defending Blake Griffin like a madman against the uh, Pistons. But I've I've long jumped ship from the DJ Wilson uh, bandwagon. I do, I do think, going back to Portis real quick, I do think that, you know, he is still a somewhat young player. So I give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt for he was on the Bulls, he got traded, I believe, to the Wizards, and then he signed with the Knicks uh, on like a kind of like a prove-it type contract. So granted, while he hasn't been on a good team, he's only been in the league for, I think, this is going to be his fifth or sixth year. So that's, I'll, that's I'll, a long I'll, time, though, Ben. That's longer than draft mates of his have got. Like, say, for example, Rashad Vaughn. Okay, but how old? Uh, how old was Malcolm Brogdon when he was a rookie? Bobby Portis is only twenty-four. <laughs> anyway, I mean, look, if, <laughs> if Bobby Portis suddenly develops on the Malcolm Brogdon trajectory. I would take that. I would also be very surprised. I, I don't think it's just about basketball, and this is I'm not. It's not a knock on his character. I do think he's a different personality than what the books have had in their their roster in recent years, and even this year. Like I think he still stands out in his own. I'm curious to see how that works. Got the Uncle Juice personality. Yeah, he does. Um, like, how how does that work? And if it doesn't work out with him playing, what's the effect of that? Are we going to have another Tom Maker trade request situation? That's that's kind of my point. But it's just, uh, there's a lot there that I'm not quite certain of. Now, maybe they see something completely different, and maybe they have sat down, they've discussed, okay, well, our defense has been league best two years running, we get to the playoffs, things don't quite work. Maybe there's a change coming. Maybe there's a change that they foresee okay, well, he can fit into our system about ends doing this. That requires great foresight, and if they have that and it works out, well, then that it could be the kind of move that makes all the difference. Big, I would, big. Yeah. I, I would say that the Bucks system, it's, I mean, I, I wouldn't say that, you know, any player could fit into the Bucks system, but Brooke Lopez wasn't a good defender by and he stretched before he joined the Bucks, and then suddenly he becomes, you know, elite for a center uh, on that end. I, I'm inclined to disagree with that, because Brooke was always kind of a top-tier shot blocker, really good at contesting shots, altering shots, even if he wasn't necessarily getting the blocks. He, like Robin, a master of the box out, so his rebounding numbers didn't necessarily always say, okay, well, this guy is... Like, I, I think he... and. If you go back through his career, and I remember doing this on multiple occasions for articles over his time with the books, like he made his teams better defensively. They were better defensively without him ever getting the individual reputation because a lot of the time he was just playing help defense, which is a lot of what he does still. Like He just mm-hmm. found the perfect spot. 
go and do that. And who's beside you? Well, the defensive player of the year right now. Mm-hmm. So that that makes all of the difference. I do think, though, and Eric Name highlighted this better than anyone with his article last year and his video breakdown where he spoke to Brooke about it, on the drop scheme and on Brooke's role. Like, that's very clearly visible and audible. It'll actually be particularly audible this year um, <laughs> in empty arenas. Just how central he is to that. And he's reading the floor and he's directing traffic. So in putting someone else in there, you're not just saying, okay, your job is to be in this position and react this way. Your job is to be in this position, react this way, but you're also going to have to help your teammates. You're going to have to guide them vocally. You're going to have to read the floor really, really well. Like, if they're playing a drop scheme with Bobby Portis on the floor, that is a massive, massive gamble. Because what is there to prove he can do that? And Mm -hmm. to prove he can organize four better defenders than him, which is probably what it will be a lot of the time he's on the floor, for the whole thing to function. Like, Mm -hmm. it's, it's an interesting dynamic. If it comes off and if it works, it could be a masterstroke. And... We talk about all the things they missed in the playoffs, not just last year, the year before, too, really. Like, there were times they just needed an extra bit of offensive punch. They needed a guy to take some shots. Yep. Who knows? Maybe there's a Bobby Porter's playoff game where he, like, gets immortalized as a cult hero book forever. That's not impossible. But I do think the day-to-day, game-to-game, series-to-series, figuring it all out is far from straightforward. Yeah, I would I would I would agree with that. I do think, you know, going back to the personality that he does he does bring he does bring something a lot different than what the Bucks have had uh had in recent years. Uh, it'll be good for the tweets. It it'll be great for the tweets. Speaking of which, uh I don't know if you saw this a couple days ago, but I found on Bucks uh subreddit there's an article back from 2015 about Bobby Portis when he played in college. And uh, the article headline stated, Before games, Bobby Portis pictures opponents slapping his mom. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that around the draft. Yeah. Uh, and that's, I guess, supposedly to get him hyped up. Do you think that – do you think he thought that Nico Miritich did that before uh, there? there's kind of – T- tossed up in uh, Chicago, or I don't know that... what if anything, I should say about it. <laughs> uh, it's it's very complicated at the other party in the infamous Bobby Portis moment is Nico. I can't believe they didn't give me all the last shots, Miritich. Like it's it's complicated. The fact that the books a year later after trading for Miritich be like, yeah, he's a guy we could we could resign him, that could be the direction. Miritich flees back to Europe. <laughs> and I I mean that because he has gone on the record as essentially saying that. And then they're like, you know what? Let's go get the guy who punched him. Let's go get the guy <laughs> who punched him. Maybe we could win a championship that way. Um Bobby Portis also refers to himself in the third person. I know this was seconds after I don't know if it was Woj or Shams or who reported it. I got a direct message on Twitter from Jordan Tresky, which was a link to an article about Bobby Portis referring to himself in the third person. So Bobby Portis, good for content, possibly bad for basketball, but we'll see. I, I could see him becoming a fan favorite because I can imagine a lot of Bucks fans want to punch Nico Miritich or have wanted to at some point. Uh, no comment. <laughs> in their fandom. 
we're we're going we're going a little bit long here, but one more thing I wanted to ask about to wrap this up. Uh, Giannis, uh, you know, has still not signed his extension. Um, we kind of know the private person he is. He doesn't like to talk, you know, about these things a lot. And you know, personally, from my perspective, I'm still not really all that concerned about it. Um, but the deadline is approaching for his uh, Supermax extension deadline. What are your thoughts on, you know, when we'll see that? Uh, or if, if we'll see that still, I'm sure you're still probably pretty uh, pretty confident about it as, as I am. But uh, I know there's some comments that circulated the Internet, you know, a couple of days, the la- yesterday I think it was, um, that were kind of taken out of context from the greater purpose of what he was saying, I think. Uh, I don't believe it. Taken out of context. Yeah. Who, who, who would do this? Who would do such a thing? But, <laughs> you know, Giannis talked about how he, you know, really was really excited about the Drew Holiday signing. He also echoed Bud's sentiments that a lot of Bucks fans, you know, didn't take too kindly to where he said actually just on that because i haven't had a chance to talk about this with anyone Mm -hmm. what what does what else does a coach say any coach Mm -hmm. in that situation Mm -hmm. i was amazed by that i i know it's just reflective of i guess the bud frustration and the point we're at but i was really like why are people talking about this Mm -hmm. this is like this is as much of a non-story as ever coach speaks in coach speak when asked about season like there's just there's no there's nothing to gain for anyone this season. Uh, don't know if anyone's noticed. It's packed with enough pressure on the books as it is. There we all know that they have to win the championship. We all know they know it. It doesn't mean that you gain anything by coming out on the opening day. Remember when Jason Terry was doing stuff like this? Like we're yeah, gonna win, we're gonna win sixty games. Like he had that Brandon okay, Jones yeah, energy. This is great. I love the energy. Yes. <laughs> And that's how it turned out. There's just there's nothing they used to do that. To a man, the books used to come out on media day and they'd sit up there on their podium with their mics, they'd all be smiling and laughing, they're like, oh, we're gonna win so many games. And Monte Ellis have it all. It just would not happen. And then they stopped doing that. They learned their lesson. And the interesting thing is there's very much an organizational tone. There's a party line and John Horst has to have had an influence on that. When you think of Horst coming in, um, things have got airtight in Milwaukee, except for, well, one notable instance. But things have got airtight. We don't even get to know who's working out for the draft anymore, which will always be insane to me, but John Horst views that as proprietary information that could give the books an advantage that, you know, some guy who was never in a million years going to be drafted is working out on a Tuesday in, like, July. But there's just been a larger kind of team of, okay, let's take care of business on the court, I guess. Let's not get involved in all of the other stuff. I even think that has spilled over to the owners compared to some high-profile instances in the past. I think gradually, gradually, you know, there's been less of a desire to go toe-to-toe in the kind of the light years stakes, right? It's like, mm. yeah, we don't need to do that. We've nothing to gain from doing that. In fact, <laughs> talking about things can just lead to bad outcomes. 
So, I guess that's what Bud does. It's what Bud does anyway, but I also think it's what every coach does. And I guess then, to kind of transition over it, that's kind of what Giannis is doing too. Mm-hmm. I don't have a feeling one way or another. I would still lean towards him signing. There was nothing he said where I was like, oh, he's gone. Mm-hmm. The longer it goes, though, I can't pretend that it doesn't get more and more uncertain or it doesn't get more and more stressful. I, I think, like, I, I can't sit here at this point. What are we, oh, 10 days? 11 days out from the deadline? I, I can't just be like, oh, well, you know, he's going to sign. It probably is. It probably is. And I do think he will sign it late. He will sign it when basically the books have everything in order, training camp preseason largely taken care of. It's the only thing between that and the start of the season. He won't want to hang over him. Yeah. I don't think he'll want that distraction either. No. So I would still say that's when it will happen, but I'm not going to play the, oh, you know, he's definitely signing. It's just, just wait. He's going to do it then. That's how he'd do it. The longer it goes on, the more uncertainty's there and the more he gets to think about things. Now, to bring one other thing today that broke into this, <laughs> the James Harden thing. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, James Harden. I think that's great. The books have no chance of getting James Harden. Probably shouldn't. I'm not going to say they shouldn't be thinking about how do we get James Harden. I don't think it would be the ideal if we can get a superstar. Oh, this is the one. Go and do it. But also, where I once thought Drew Holiday was a dream, this is an absolute pipe dream. Like, how much do the Rockets want Dante DiVincenzo? (laughs) As as much as the Kings wanted uh, him? (laughs) This is the question. And I don't think the answer is James Harden amounts. So, the books aren't really in that. But, James Harden might have done the books a real service. If there is any part of Giannis' mind that isn't made up, and it's not just kind of, okay, both sides are negotiating small details and formalities of it. If it's a real case of, I want to see how this is, I want to see what the new players look like, I want to get a feel for how everyone is going into this season, what the long-term plan is, one of the leading superstars in the NBA has reportedly come out and put Milwaukee on a list of places he'd be happy to be traded to. The Bucks have no assets. They have no path to really do much of anything in the next few years. And if Giannis has really put into that, and his agent and his people are, they would have told him that. So there could have been a sense of, well, if it doesn't work this year, like if this version of the team doesn't work, you're in big trouble. And then you could be tied in and not able to get out very easily. James Harden has now provided the books with the counterpoint to that, which is, if you are here, guys will be open to coming here. Mm-hmm. That's actually kind of a big deal. I don't know if anyone's really thought about it, talked about it yet in this kind of framework, but whether he would actually come, particularly James Harden of all superstars with his particular set of interests, would be like, yeah, I'm going to Milwaukee, and also with his history with Giannis, to add to that too, the fact that they're on a list, I think that actually matters and is quite interesting. If it was the books, maybe it's something you just make sure everyone's aware of. Um, I know I don't know if Giannis got that athletic subscription yet, so maybe he hasn't seen the report. 
maybe someone can lend them their login and just like just take a look at this. Don't go back in the archives. Don't look at any of the stuff from about a month ago about deals that did or didn't happen. But just look at this deal where this guy is like, yeah, I'd come and play in Milwaukee because I don't think the books will get James Harden. I don't think they could right now. No. But that to me today, I thought, I went, hmm, okay, I guess that's the – if Yana stays and it doesn't work this year, how do you make it work again? What's your next step? And the answer is, well, if it takes Chris Middleton and Brooke Lopez and you notice just hasn't worked, the next time a star comes along, maybe a star that's a better fit for Giannis, more what you want, you might be able to go and land them if, if this is the appeal he has. So I, we didn't need to, and I didn't expect in a conversation with you for it to be like, let's talk about potential trade packages the books could put together for James Harden. But I actually wanted to bring it up in the context of Giannis because I think it's interesting. Yeah, it's I a, think that's a great point. It's a true line from Greg Monroe signing as well. If Greg Monroe <laughs> didn't sign Ben, would James Harden have put the books on his list? I don't think so. I don't think so either. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a great point. Uh, and, you know, Harden technically isn't really the first guy to put Milwaukee on his list either. I mean, maybe he's the first guy in like a serious sense, but I remember AD saying that something about uh, Milwaukee at some point before – uh, the Lakers. It was reported at the trade deadline, right? Mm-hmm. It was one of the teams that came out. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Giannis has had this pull for for at least a while, I mean, and that's kind of what happens when you are the back-to-back MVP and Defensive Player of the Year. But, yeah, I think that's, that is a good point. For as much as, you know, Milwaukee – especially from a national media perspective, is seen as kind of a place where no one wants to be. If you have a guy, a generational talent like Giannis, and you have, you know, at least a supporting cast that has shown that it can win a lot of games, I think you're always going to have guys who want to come, you know, and I don't think that market is quite as big of a deal to some guys as it's made out to be, and Giannis is obviously Exhibit A of that. And mm-hmm. there's really no one quite like you know how Giannis views things in that sense. I don't think, uh, especially superstars. But I do think that you know the willingness of Drew Holiday to you know consent and want to play for the Bucks and you know, obviously now just Harden and Anthony Davis and And Holiday to say openly right after being traded, like without ever I don't even know if he had landed on the ground being asked like would you sign an extension here? And he's like, Yeah, absolutely. Like I don't think he'd even got to the city yet. He certainly hadn't met his teammates, hadn't practiced. But it's like, okay, what is this organization? What's the direction it's going in? What is sign an extension? Yeah. Well that's that's a big deal. That's progress, and that's also a reflection then of the. It is the honest effect. It is also that like you can have your your signature sneaker. You can have all of these global endorsement deals, and you can do it from Milwaukee. It makes no difference. And in some ways, you know, not necessarily. This is this isn't the top of James Harden's list, but for a lot of other guys, you could possibly do it with reduced glare. You know, you could do it in a much less invasive fashion. You know, you could go. A nice big house, spider lake, nice and peaceful. You won't be bothered anywhere near as much as if you're you're in Miami, you're in LA, you're in New York. It's something that's there to their advantage for the right kind of personality, the right kind of player. 
and just from where they're at, and I think for books fans being realistic about it, like when it's like, oh, who could they get? What could the next move? Oh, there's very few moves. They've got nothing. <laughs> like they've got nothing for good deals and bad over the years. They've left the cupboards pretty bare when it comes to assets. So if you're gonna convince the honest, and he's like, well, what happens if this isn't it? Today was the day where I was like, okay, that is the that is the glimmer of hope. Because the realistic next step is always going to be you're going to have to bundle the likes of Milton, you're going to have to bundle the likes of Brook. But the question would always be, but is a real superstar, like top five, top ten guy, who's playing elsewhere, who hasn't kind of grown up and developed an affinity for the city, are they going to say, I want to go to the books? And here's one. And maybe the least likely player in the NBA to say, yeah, put Milwaukee on my list. I think that really speaks volumes, and hopefully that's something that registers with Giannis and could be just a sign of not just the next couple of years, the next five years, but could be a sign of how Giannis could map out the rest of his career with the books, and the books could go through different iterations and could land butter stars and could hopefully win at least one championship, if not multiple, over that time. Yeah. If Harden is willing to... Play with Giannis. I think just about anyone in the NBA would want to play with Giannis. So <laughs> I think I think that's a good place to end it. Uh, it was a lot of fun talking with you, Adam. Uh, where can people find your work still? Um, not many places, which is refreshing. So you can follow me on Twitter. I'm there at Adam McGee Eleven. I'll occasionally tweet. <laughs> uh, I'll tweet a bit more. I'm sure when the season is properly up and running. Um, I am the host, along with Jordan Tresky of Winning Six Podcast. We are also kind of somewhat regular, somewhat irregular. Subscribe, that way you'll get a nice surprise sometime. There'll be an episode. And a lot of people, for whatever reason, seem to enjoy them. Um, and that's kind of it. If you like movies, you can listen to me and Andrew Snyder on Captured and Celluloid. Ben, you were a guest not too long ago. That was a lot of fun. Yep. But, that's yeah, that's fun. it. Not, not a lot of writing, no writing out there for public consumption at the moment, which is very refreshing. It's a nice change. I, I can imagine. It, taking a break from that has got to be just a complete change of uh, of life. But, uh, yeah, I will I will definitely endorse the Win and Six podcast and Captured on Celluloid podcast. They're two that I enjoy frequently, I think. If you're a Bucks fan or a fan of movies, you'll definitely enjoy both of them. And definitely check out the horror movie podcast that me, Adam, and Andrew did in late October. That was a lot of fun, and it went really, really long, just like most uh, most podcasts with Adam. This is the shortest podcast I've ever been on, right? <laughs> That's not true. You were on the uh, you were on the Lockdown Bucks podcast with That's, Andrew. Okay, that is true. That is <laughs> definitely the shortest podcast I've ever been on. This might be second or third, though, Ben. So you've done very well to rein me in. It's been, it's been a lot of fun. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, of course. Uh, and you can follow us here at Backseat GM uh, on Twitter or Instagram at Backseat GM Pod. Uh, we're currently on Spotify. We're trying to get on Apple Podcast as soon as we possibly can, but they're dragging their feet. So as soon as we get that, we'll definitely push that out on our platforms. Uh, thanks again, Adam. Thanks, Ben. <laughs>